Good morning. How are we doing today? Such a joy to be with you. Uh, yeah, it's exciting to be here. It's actually my first time in Minnesota this weekend. And it's been, it's a, as I'm sure you all know, it's a beautiful state. And uh, yeah, it's been a great weekend here at Cornerstone last night at the Ice Cream Social. Got to meet a number of you, which was a lot of fun. I already had a sense of, of who some of the troublemakers might be. But, <laughs> staying with the Schindler family this weekend, and uh, it's just been such a blessing, and they've been so wonderful, and if you've never stayed with them, you should. <laughs> uh, got the chance to break bread with Pastor Eric, and when I say break bread, I mean drink Mountain Dew. And uh, yeah, it's been a great weekend. I know there was a parade yesterday, and I thought, you really didn't have to. <laughs> Yeah, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it, and I uh, definitely appreciate the, the passion that this church has for the gospel. Uh, our section this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And a lot of scholars view these two verses as somewhat of a, of a summary or a thesis for the entire book of Romans. Some actually go as far as saying that it's basically a summary of, of all of Paul's theology. Uh, so there's certainly a lot there, and I'm so excited to preach and Oh, there we go. I'm preaching out of the ESV, uh, which is what we have behind me, and uh, let's get to it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we dedicate this time to you. Lord, I thank you for this church and for all churches that hold up your gospel, that preach it every week, Lord. I pray for Cornerstone that it can be a light in the world. I pray for this message today, Lord, that it can point us anew to your gospel, to give us a greater appreciation for it. This week and every week, Lord, studying your gospel, learning your word. I pray for strength, Lord, as I preach. I pray that you bless these words and that they edify the congregation and bring honor and glory to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just graduated from seminary a few weeks ago, so as you can imagine, I'm watching more TV now. <laughs> and it's interesting, in the middle of the day when you flip through the TV, you see a lot of judge shows, Judge Judy, Judge Mathis, Judge Faith, The People's Court, Divorce Court. In the evening, it's more shows dedicated to crime. Last year, nine of the top 25 most popular American television shows revolved around crime. Shows like NCIS, NCIS New Orleans, CSI Los Angeles, Blue Bloods, The Blacklist, Criminal Minds. There's the massive Law & Order franchise with all of its offshoots, Law & Order, SVU, Criminal Intent, Trial by Jury, Law & Order LA, Law & Order Pest Control. <laughs> Altogether, there are 1,075 Law and Order episodes. If you were to watch each of those consecutively, you would die. <laughs> if you were to watch each of those consecutively without commercials, and I, I did the math, it would take about 30 days. Cable news shows follow trials endlessly. Things like the 
Casey Anthony trial from a few years back, or when Michael Jackson was on trial. Constant coverage. You have investigation discovery, an entire network dedicated to true crime programming. In sports, as technology's gotten better, cameras have gotten better, all the major professional leagues have added rules for replays in the game. The chief of these being the NFL with all of these really super slow motion angles that they can show a play in to make sure that the right thing happens. We live in a society that loves justice. We love when the right thing happens. But for so many, the idea of a righteous God who would judge is seen as offensive. It's seen as being almost unacceptable. The idea that God is good and we aren't. That's offensive. The idea that we exist at God's pleasure and that He doesn't need us. That's offensive. And the idea that God judges is offensive. And when Paul was writing his letter to the Romans, as well as today in the 21st century, the gospel for people who don't have faith in it is a message that still offends. Paul was writing to people he didn't know personally to a church to which he had never been. It was his hope that he could join with them in partnering with the gospel. And at the introduction of this letter, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And from this passage today, I have four points about the gospel that I'd like to make. First point. The gospel is the power of God. There we go. The gospel isn't just a collection of words. It's not just a message that's articulated. The text says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. There is power in the gospel because of what it represents. It is the message of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the Lord who came into our world for our salvation. And by understanding the gospel, it introduces us to the will of God. It communicates God's redemption. The story of the Bible shows us God's faithfulness to his people. There is power in the message. In Romans 10, 17, Paul says that faith comes through hearing. There is power in the message. I love this quote by Leon Morris. The gospel is not advice to people suggesting that they lift themselves. It is power. It lifts them up. Paul does not say that the gospel brings power, but that it is power, and God's power at that. When the gospel is preached, this is not simply so many words being uttered. The power of God is at work. When the gospel enters anyone's life, it is as though the very fire of God had come upon him. There is warmth and light in this life. End quote. It is because the gospel is the power of salvation that Paul is not ashamed of it. Power in the gospel. There was a man named Jack. He was an atheist. He was also an English professor, or a literature professor. And being a literature professor, he did a lot of reading. And some of the authors he read were Christians. And the more he read, eventually, he softened a bit in his atheism and became more of an agnostic. 
Now, Jack had a friend named John, who was also a professor, but who was a Christian. Many times the two would talk about things related to faith. John would talk about the Bible, talk about the Gospels, how they were legitimate, how they were true, how they could be trusted. And eventually, Jack placed his faith in Christ. Now, John, the man who led Jack to faith, we might know by a different name. John was his first name, but he's better known by J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings. And Jack, the man he led to faith, as he was called by his friends, was the great C.S. Lewis, one of the most influential apologists and Christian writers of the 20th century, the author of The Chronicles of Narnia, The Abolition of Man, Screwtape Letters, and perhaps the most influential Christian book of the 20th century, Mere Christianity. That God took a man who was an atheist and he brought him to faith in Christ and then used him in huge ways for the spreading of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Perhaps you've seen somebody who was coming to the end of their life. Maybe they had cancer or a disease and they had total assurance and trust for where they were going after they left this world. They had no doubt that they were going to be in the presence of Jesus. That is the power of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. That's a gospel not to be ashamed of. Being ashamed of the gospel can be an easy temptation. It can be easy to want to detract from the teachings of the Bible. Or to want to mitigate what the Bible says. We can all get on board with easy teachings, like you should love people. But what about where Jesus says that everyone has a cross to bear, and that he who does not take up his cross and follow him is not worthy of him? Or that we are sinful people, and that our sin separates us from God, and that there is nothing we can do on our own to make us right with God. There is nothing we can do to contribute to our own salvation. Those are harder to accept. People can be ashamed of the simplicity of the gospel. The message that it is faith alone in Jesus that makes a person right with God and nothing else. It seems almost too good to be true. And I think it can be hard to accept sometimes for people. Well, what about how good I am? I'm a good person. I'm nice. I love people. I'm generous. I'm nice to Packer fans. <laughs> what about how I live? But that is not the gospel. Again, we contribute nothing to our salvation. And for people who don't have faith, it can be easy, I think, to be ashamed of that. Some mock the gospel. They mock the message of forgiveness, the grace that is found in Jesus. They ask, well, if you're forgiven, if it's all about just saying you believe in Jesus, then why even worry about being good? Just do whatever you want. You'll be forgiven anyway. But Paul will go on later in this letter to say that that is not the case. Should we sin all the more so that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means. Because a person who has that attitude is indicative of a heart that has not been transformed by the gospel message. People can be ashamed of the gospel when things get tough, when bad things happen to good people, when tragedies happen, when we see these situations and we can't make sense of it and we don't know why. It can be easy to be tempted to say, well, where is God in this? 
People can be turned off to the gospel because it's exclusive. What about other faiths? What about people who live places where it's not preached? It's not fair. But Paul will go on in this letter to say that nobody lacks faith because they never had an opportunity to know the grace of God. In Romans, actually in the following section from where we're preaching today, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Here in Romans, he says there is no excuse. Again, the reason why a person doesn't believe is not because of a lack of opportunity. God is just, he is righteous, and he is fair. People persecute Christians at different times and places. Horrible atrocities have befallen God's people. And in the face of those situations, again, it can be easy to question the goodness of the gospel. Paul, who wrote this letter, would end up dying for his faith. But Paul says here, I am not ashamed of the gospel. There are people who look down on Christians, who look down on the things we believe, who make a mockery of our, our various views. But we're called to not be ashamed of the gospel. There can be many reasons to be weary of the gospel, but because the gospel is the power of God for salvation, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. There is no shame in truly knowing the gospel, in truly knowing the message of forgiveness, in truly having an appreciation for the magnitude of your sins and the great grace that God gives for us who have faith. Once you truly understand that message, there's no going back. Not ashamed of the gospel. We should take joy in the gospel. And I realize you'll probably never hear a person use the phrase that they are ashamed of the gospel. But like I said, as we go through life, when we're out in the real world, I think it can be an easy temptation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says that to some the gospel is the stench of death, and to others the aroma of life. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about how the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. The power of God for salvation. The power of God for redemption. The power for the forgiveness of sins. The power for victory in areas of sin. Not ashamed of the gospel. There can be a time where you're talking to someone who doesn't have faith. Perhaps it's a friend or a family worker or a family member or a co-worker. And you're talking, and you're talking about life and you feel a little bit of a prompting to talk about faith or to ask them to pray, even though you know that it's not something that's something you ever really see them do or care about. In those moments, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be afraid of what people might think. Because the gospel is the greatest message we can share with anyone. There can be times where we're hanging out with people, and maybe they're doing things that we know go against our values. I'm not saying that to bear down on them and be hypercritical, 
but at the same time to not fall into sin in those situations, to not be ashamed of the gospel. Second point. We don't do PowerPoint in my church, so I have to remind myself. Second point. The gospel is for everyone. Verse 16 continues. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The point here is emphasizing that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for the whole world, for all who accept it. The gospel doesn't discriminate. No person or group is more deserving of God's grace than any other. No one deserves it based on their own merit because it's grace. Like Pastor Eric said, it's not just avoiding a punishment. It's getting a reward that you don't even deserve. And because no one deserves it on their own merit, it means that no person is any less deserving than another. But it is a matter of truly accepting the message, the power of salvation through the gospel. Paul will talk about this at length later, later on in Romans. That the scope of God's gospel has been brought from the Israelites, God's chosen people, and it's for the whole world. Which actually goes back to a promise God had made to Abraham in the book of Genesis, talking about the multitudes of descendants that would come from him. People of all backgrounds can be saved by the gospel. And all who are saved by the gospel are saved because of one gospel. John Stott, a great 20th century preacher, referred to the gospel as the great leveler. I'm from Ohio originally, Columbus to be specific, and as people often ask, yes, I, I am an Ohio State fan. And I know a lot of people don't like Ohio State. Jealous. Uh, but... One thing I think that rubs a lot of people the wrong way is if you watch an NFL game and a former Buckeye comes on and he's introducing himself and he says where he went to school, he'll say, the Ohio State University. And again, I think people think that sounds a little bit pompous. But I think that can be helpful when we think of the gospel. It's not just the gospel. It is the gospel. There is one gospel. There is one way how we are saved. Again, let us always remember that everyone is equally unworthy of the gospel through our own merits. And also, that no one's sins are so great that the cross of Christ cannot redeem them. No one is stained so much that the blood of the Lamb cannot cleanse them. It's something that everyone desperately needs. And it's something that God freely offers to all who accept it. Not ashamed of the gospel. A third point. There we go. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. What does that mean here? The righteousness of God. God is righteous morally. He's perfect and without sin. He is holy. He is also righteous in what he does. Everything God does is in accordance with his per perfection. And God makes sinners righteous because of the gospel. Because God is righteous, his gospel is also righteous. And the way how God forgives sinners is righteous. And the judgment for the ungodly is righteous. 
in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. This means that the righteousness that God gives to believers is revealed in the gospel. And this idea is oftentimes referred to as justification. To be justified by God is to be made right with Him. Later on in this letter, Paul will elaborate on justification and say, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The reason why we can be made right is because we have a Savior who took the punishment for us. God is good. People are not. But because God is good, God made a way for people to be forgiven. And that way is Jesus Christ. He paid the price. He gave his life for yours. And in Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's like being in court for a crime that you have committed. And the gavel wraps and the verdict is read, and you're pronounced not guilty. That is the gospel. That is the righteousness of God. Now, when a person is said to be not guilty, that doesn't mean that they didn't commit the crime. For indeed we have committed the crime. We have sinned against God. But the gospel is the righteousness of God for all who believe. In the gospel we are justified because an innocent man willingly and freely took the punishment for us. And Paul will continue in Romans chapter 5. Sorry. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Jesus took the penalty. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of what Jesus has done for us. Because God is righteous, as I said, there is also judgment. There is righteousness in his judgment for unbelief. There was a price to be paid. And God made a way. And the road to him is the cross. God is ultimately glorified in all people. For those who have faith in the gospel, he is glorified in his grace. And for those who don't, who refuse the evidence of God, who refuse to receive the grace of God, God is ultimately glorified in the righteousness of his judgment. There is a price to be paid for sin, and Jesus pays it for all who will accept it. It's there for the taking. We just have to believe. We have to know that Jesus is the Lord who took on the weight of our sins. Like a popular Christian song says, like the song we said before the sermon this morning, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, should die for me? And we believe in the righteousness of God that is revealed and we are justified. We are justified through the perfect life of our Lord. Fourth point. The gospel is accessed through faith. It says in the text in the ESV, it says, from faith to faith. Basically the point is that the righteousness of God is revealed to all people who have faith. People who truly have faith. Who trust in the work of Christ on the cross. 
who don't just trust God when things are going well, but who also trust God through the challenging times, the people who endure in faith. From faith to faith, for as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here Paul is quoting from the book, the prophet Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. In the book of Habakkuk, God's people, the Israelites, are about to be conquered by the Babylonians. To an observer, it might have looked like God wasn't even on Israel's side. But in spite of what the Israelites were going through, and in spite of the fact that it was revealed how much they lacked in faith as a people, how they had turned away from God, how they had turned to sin, there were still people in the community who had faith, who trusted God regardless of what was happening. is a faith that endures for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. They weren't ashamed of the gospel. They weren't ashamed of the Lord. Not ashamed of their faith. And it is because people are living through faith and have faith that God makes them righteous. The righteous lives by faith. And it is only by faith that we are righteous. There is no other way. We are saved by faith and not by works so that no one may boast. It is referring to human faith in God. The righteous shall live by faith. Later on in this book of Romans, Paul will talk about Abraham, who I referenced earlier, and how Abraham was justified entirely by his faith. He quotes the book of Genesis, where God made a promise, and Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't that there was one way in the Old Testament and that Jesus came and there was another way. It has always ultimately been about faith in God. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel because it reveals the power of God. The power of a God who is mighty to save. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel who is there for everyone, for all who believe to all who place faith in Christ. Not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God because God justifies us when we have faith. He makes us right. Jesus takes the punishment for our sins. An innocent man died the death of the guilty and rose so that the guilty could be dedicated, could be declared innocent and joined him in eternal life. Not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is access to God through faith. It works through faith. It works through knowing what Jesus has done. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, that Jesus is faithful. You are forgiven. We aren't saved because we know obscure theological ideas. We are saved because a personal God came into the world and lived among people and lived perfectly and died a personal death so that individual people could have a relationship with him. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of a God who made the world. Not ashamed of a God who is righteous. Not ashamed of a God who is perfect and because he's perfect has standards. Not ashamed of a God who made a way. Who made a way for people to be with him. Not ashamed of a God who came to earth and took the penalty. Not ashamed of a God who loved us and was willing to die for us. 
not ashamed of the God who rose from the dead so that we could enjoy eternity with Him. Not ashamed of the God that did all of these things despite the fact that we did not deserve them. Not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God and the only message that points us to life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, let us go out as people who are not ashamed of the gospel. Let us delight in it. Let it be our supreme joy. Let us have a greater appreciation for it every day, every week, every month than we do today. Constantly growing in our knowledge and our love for you and in our appreciation for your gospel, Lord. I pray for our fellowship today. Again, I pray for this church, Lord, for a community that I know is committed to, to your gospel, Lord, and to your will. I pray that this church can continue to be light in the Fergus Falls community. In Jesus' name, amen.